God is good. Oh, let's do that again. God is good. And all the time. Do you really believe that? Oh. You all be trying to be real spiritual now. How do you believe that God is good in the light of what we see in this world today? Is God really good is a taboo question to be able to ask in the church because um, uh, it seems unspiritual and no one wants to admit that they have doubts about the goodness of God, but if you're an honest person and you see six million people a year dying of starvation in Africa, you see wars upon wars, you see in Syria, you see devastation and, and uh, people dying left and right, you see 12 people killed and 50 injured at a movie theater, you see a 9-11, you see a tsunami that kills a quarter of a million people in Indonesia. You see babies that are born with birth defects, babies that are born without brains. You see little five- and six-year-olds with bald heads because they have cancer and they die of cancer. How can you... How can we say God is good? Somewhere last night in Greene County, a, a husband molested his little daughter, sexually molested her. It happened somewhere. God could have stopped that because uh, the Bible uh, tells us about an all-powerful God. God could have stopped that, but didn't. If, if a perpetrator broke, broke into my home and was, was uh, molesting one of my kids and I did nothing to stop that, you would not call me a good father. Yet we still call God good. If, if, if Christopher runs out into the street and get hit by a truck and I could have stopped that or could have warned him or could have done something and I chose not to, you wouldn't call me a good dad. Yet we believe God, as all-powerful God, has the ability to stop that and chooses, for whatever reason, not to. Yet we call him good. That's an irreconcilable difference, friends. That is not logical. How easy it is to trip off of our tongue, God is good. But how difficult that is with the biblical account of an all-powerful and all-loving God. If he wasn't all-loving, then there's not even the question because, yes, he may be all-powerful, but he's mean and angry, and so all the things that happens in the world is no big deal. And if he's not all-powerful, he could be loving, and he's not all-powerful, and he just would like to stop all this stuff, but he can't. Then we wouldn't have a problem with evil and all this stuff, pain and suffering. But the Bible reveal, reveals an all-powerful, omnipotent God who knows everything, who is over his creation from chapter 1 of Genesis all the way through, and a God who's loving and merciful beyond description. And if he is those two things, why does this world seem to be in the mess that it is? This question keeps a lot of skeptics from the faith. 
this question keeps a lot of Christians from finishing the walk. The number of Christians that have had some tragedy come into their life that was unexplainable, and they are now off in a far country, and we have no clue where they are, that can be laid at their doubts and the questions, and why, if God is a loving God, did he do this to me? Ted Turner's sister was a nun preparing for the I don't know. You don't call it the nunnery, do you? I don't know what you call it, but she was preparing for it. <laughs> she gets hit by a car and dies. Ted Turner has yet, in his writings, has yet to reconcile that. And you all know people like that. You know people like that. I wouldn't embarrass the Trotters to be able to tell you that their daughter is, is in Kettering Hospital on a ventilator and they, they tell you that her life has gone straight downhill since five years ago when she lost her daughter and she seems to care about nothing. So God is good, right? As I attempt to answer the unasked question that is asked by skeptics left and right that we're too spiritual to ask because we don't want to real, really be real in church and we'd be afraid somebody would judge us if we asked that question in our Sunday school and small group but is, is somewhere if it's not within our spirits now it, it has been within our spirits and, or will be within our spirits the answer to that question is how can a good and loving and all-powerful God allow the evil and pain and suffering in this world? The answer to that that I have for you today can be wrapped up into three words. I don't know. And the reason I don't know is because the Bible doesn't tell us. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, that we see through a mirror dimly. Now we see things imperfectly as in a poor mirror. But then, we see every, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely. Just as God knows me now, we don't know the whole story now. The reason that I can't tell you the answer to the unanswerable question is because the Bible says doesn't give us an answer. When Job cries out, and if you've never read, read the book of Job, read it. I mean, I mean, Job, God just cut Job down. You say, well, Satan did it. But if you read it carefully, Satan had to go ask permission to be able to do it. And he just absolutely, he, he, he just took everything away from Job, his family and his health. And Job cries out, God, why did you do this for me? On and on and on. And we have a perfect book of the Bible where God could have answered that question and wrapped it all up in a nice little box and put a little bow on it and said, here's your answer. But when God responds to Job of all the why questions, basically God just says, how dare you ask me? God said, who is this that darkens counsel without knowledge? The Bible doesn't reveal the answer. 
But the Bible does give us some clues that it can help us be at peace with an unanswered question. I can't remember the name of the guy that came and spoke with us at seminary, but he was talking through this subject, and he said that his 19-year-old daughter was killed by a drunk driver on his honeymoon, and he's never got an answer to the question, but he has learned to be at peace with the unanswered question. The Bible does give us some clues. The Bible does give us a little light that can hopefully let us be at peace with this unanswered question. It's kind of like this. In 1977, a friend of mine, Bailey Arnold, and I were driving to State College, Pennsylvania to watch the Nittany Lions play the University of Kentucky Wildcats. And UK was ranked sixth in the country that year, but we didn't go nearly as much because UK had a good team. We went up there to be able to enjoy the State College experience. And back then, you used to watch college football highlights on, on Sunday morning, and I'd see Paterno running out there with those black shoes, and, and I just wanted to see that. And so we got within about an hour of State College. We were on a two-lane road that takes you into that small town, and some, the alternator was started going out in our 73 Monte Carlo. And so our lights started dimming. And, and it just seemed to us we were going to lo- lose all kinds of light, and we weren't Anywhere where we could be close to a town, the map said we were about 20 minutes away from the town. We were hugging as close as we could to the white stripe on the side, going as slow as we can to be careful as we were fastly, very, very quickly losing any type of illumination on that road at all. And so we slowed down so much that an 18-wheeler passed us. And as soon as that 18-wheeler passed us, we saw all those lights on the back of his truck. You've seen that. And we said, we're going to ride the tail of that truck all the way into State College. And sure enough, we did. We sped up, and we stayed right on his tail all the way into State College. And there was a certain peace that we had, or that we had once we saw those lights. We weren't sure why it happened to us, but once we saw those lights, there was a certain peace. We're going to make it. And maybe the little biblical clues that God gives us can be little lights that can illuminate the dark tunnel of this unanswered question for us and help us to be at peace. It's not going to answer the question. But maybe it may illuminate enough on the situation that you can say, God, I'm walking with you in the midst of this unanswered question. I'm at peace, even though I don't have the answer. First little tail light to help us through that tunnel is God is not the creator of evil, pain, and suffering. And that helps us when people say, how can an all-powerful, all-loving God allow? And we can know that God is not the creator of evil, pain, and suffering. And people say, well, if God is all powerful, why didn't He create a, a world that we didn't have any of this kind of stuff? And the answer to that is He did. In the very first chapter of the book, five times He looks at His creation and says, it's good. Six times He looks at the pinnacle of His creation, man, and says, it's very good. 
He created this world the way we wanted it. He created this world the way he wanted it. He created a perfect world, a paradise is what Scripture calls it. So what happened? The hard answer for me and for you is that me and you happened. The Bible says this world is not as it should be, that this world is busted, this world is fallen because of the sin of our first parents and the sin of every other parent. God created a world as he wanted it, but in disbelieving, unbelieving, and in disobedience, this world has fallen We talk about total depravity. That's a theological term that some of you may not be interested in or even heard of. It simply means that the fall of man affects everything in life. You know why people can't listen to me very carefully? <clears throat> Don't jump to conclusions before I finish this. Do you, know, do you know why people have cancer? Do you know why tsunamis hit? Do you know why people shoot up a movie theater? Do you know how we have wars? Do you know how we have starving children? Sin. Now don't jump to conclusions. The person who has cancer, you can't say, well, she was a sinner, and so she is a sinner, and God is punishing her with cancer. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying this world was created without cancer. This world was created without tsunamis. This world was created without murder. This world was created without starvation. And now this world has fallen, it's busted, and everything, and everything that bad happens is either a direct or an indirect fall of the fact we live in a busted world. A world that is not the way it should be. Hear me again. The little baby born without a brain, it's not the punishment. It's not the sin of mom and dad. But the baby is born without a brain because we live in a world that's not the way it should be. And man has fallen. And the Bible says, and I don't understand this and don't even much like it, the Bible says God has cursed this earth. Why is it you don't have to water weeds and thistles? Sin. Tells you that in Genesis 3. Why is it women have pain in childbirth? In childbirth, it's just not the most exhilarating. It tells you in Genesis 3. Well, why is it that farmers have to, have to labor and toil to get those corn up? And it's not just the most easy and natural thing. It tells you in Genesis 3. Sin is worse than we ever can imagine. The six million people that die every year because of starvation in another country is a result of sin. Not throwing a guilt rap on you because you're so stingy you won't give all this. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's a, it's a, it's a result of a direct, direct and indirect result of sin. 
There, there's money in Africa, but that, that money is corrupt. The leaders are corrupt. The leaders hoard that money. There's, there's boats that sit on a dock because there won't be enough, there's not enough money to bribe the people to take all the grain and the food off the dock because of the corruption of the governments. And yes, there is selfishness in the country that are plentiful. Well, there's enough food and money in this world to feed every single person in this world 3,000 calories a day. But because of sin, because we live in a busted world, it doesn't happen. Why do tsunamis happen? Romans 8, chapter 20 says, 820 of Romans says, creation is frustrated and it groans because it's not the way it should be. Even creation knows that. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. Other translations say moans and groans waiting for full redemption. Tsunamis weren't supposed to be here. The ground was just supposed to be watered by underground spring. Read the Bible. We didn't even need the rain. It was just underground springs were going to well up and water everything. Some of you know and have been praying with us about our youngest foster child, and we've had him for two years, and it looks like unless something unexpected happens that the court will uh, rule that he needs to go live with grandma. And so when you've had a child for two years in your home, it's like death. And our boys, our bro his brothers, our boys are going to have to go through death. And you know why they're going to have to go through that death? Because of sin. Because of knowledge's mom and dad who were drug addicts, who made poor choices, who were selfish. We would never have known who Knowledge Keller was if their mom and dad were not fallen and were not sinful. So we wouldn't be going through this pain and suffering if mom and dad had done what they were supposed to do. So why are we going through pain and suffering saying goodbye to knowledge? Sin. Don't send me emails. I did not say your mother has cancer because of her sin. There's not that much of a cause and effect relationship. But your mother has cancer. Your child died in the crib. You had a miscarriage because we live in a busted world. Because we live in a fallen world. God is not the creator of evil. Evil comes from the free will of man. Well, why did God create man with free will? It must have been because God wanted man and woman to be able to experience the highest human experience that is possible, and that's to love him and love other people. And if you're going to love him and love other people, if you're going to love anything, you have to have a choice. Love cannot be commanded. Love cannot be commanded. Well, couldn't have God foreseen what was going to happen? Of course he did. That's why he says that Jesus was a lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. 
He knew what was going to happen. Well, then why did he do it? Maybe the experience of loving God and loving other people is worth the risk. I don't know. You that have had kids, you knew that child could have possibly miscarried. You knew that that child could have possibly died in the crib. You knew that child could have possibly have a birth defect. You knew that child could possibly die of cancer at five years of age. You knew that that child could cause you unmentionable hurt and pain in this life. Yet you chose to have him anyway because of the potential of love and meaning and purpose that that child represented. So if you got to get mad at God for creating man, you got to get mad at yourself too. He had to create us with free will if he wanted us to love him and love other people. And it would be a legitimate, honest, realistic love. Friends, that doesn't answer the question. But maybe it's a taillight that gets you through the darkness of the unanswered question. Maybe you can hang on to that. But maybe you need more than that. Can I tell you that God can make good come out of evil? Oh, that's not the answer to their question. That doesn't satisfy me intellectually or emotionally. But it's another taillight that can get us through this unanswered question, that get us through this fog, that can get us through this darkness. Maybe God can take, and the Bible says he can, this evil and somehow turn it into good. What is it, 828 of Romans? If you're an unbeliever, that verse is not for you. If you're a nominal Christian, that verse is not for you. If you're a pew sitter, that verse is not for you. If you're a, Christian, a Christmas and Easter Christian, that verse is not for you. That verse is for committed people who the, who the scripture says, who love him and are called according to his purpose. That God's promise is to take all the junk that comes into your life and to be able to use it for good. Maybe not, he didn't say, and we know that in all things God works for your good for those who love him. Hey, God is a busy guy, and he's got an overall good to look after. And he's got much more important things to worry about than my good. He has an overall good to look after. And if he has to be able to take me through some pain and suffering to, go, to reach overall good, he will. He will. Is there anyone that experienced more injustice that went through more unanswered questions than Joseph of the Old Testament? I mean, little brother was hate. I mean, that's no big deal. All little brothers get picked on by their, by their older brothers, but they don't get thrown in pit and sold off into slavery and falsely accused and thrown into jail. And then the guys in jail tell them they're going to get him out and they forget about him. It's injustice. Injustice. And we wonder why injustice happens. I did something pretty stupid this week. I, I was in the drive-thru at McDonald's with my boys, and we were in Mason, Ohio, getting ready to go to Kings Island for the evening. And, and, and the lady in front of me had her 
Coke cup, and I saw her just drop the whole thing, ice and everything all out the window. I got on my last nerve. I said, I just need a boom, boom. Ah, it's not my business. We proceeded up, and the lady in front of me that dropped out the Coke was getting her food, and she was giving the little girl in the... And I looked out my window and could see in her side view mirror her facial expression. I said, that's it. That's it. I went back, and I got her cup, and I walked it up to her. I said, you dropped this. And she, and she took it and slapped it out of my hand. And she said, I did, she, uh, she says, she says I, didn't, I dropped it because it was, there was a hole in it. And I could see there was a hole in the bottom. I'm so it's probably spilled all over her $200 dress. And she was mad. I said, I don't like what you modeled for my boys. And I walked back. And Levi goes, Dad, what gives you the right to go up there and talk to that lady that way? If you had read in a newspaper that a guy was shot in the drive-thru lane at McDonald's, you would have had no reason to be able to say, why does God allow that to happen? You could just blame it on dumb old Mark who stuck his nose in where it didn't belong. But you see, the injustice that she was perpetrating on that 16-year-old girl bugged me. And I'm not sure at all that I did the right thing. And I'm not sure at all I was walking in the spirit when I walked that up to her and stuck it in her face. <laughs> but the injustice in the world should raise something up in us. Whether that injustice is, is, is littering or that injustice is six million kids dying in Africa. And the injustice of Joseph, it just wasn't fair, man. And at the end of that story, you know what he said. And when he talks to his brothers that threw him in the pit, he says, you know what? I know you meant to harm me. I know you meant it for evil. I know you meant it for bad. But God has taken this evil. God has taken this bad. God has taken this harm that you intended for me and has used it for good to save many people today. Oh, I... <laughs> Okay, Joseph, but what in the, how in the world can God take a quarter of a million people dying in a tsunami in Indonesia? How can God take that and use it for good? How in the world, and just fill in the blank, or your own fill in the blank of the stuff that you've gone through? Well, I don't know. But I know this. The absolute worst thing that has happened in the history of the universe with the death of the Son of God. And he took the absolute worst thing that could ever happen and made it for good, and through that death, we have a pathway to heaven. And if he can take the absolute worst thing that has ever happened in the universe and use it for good, can he take what's going on with me and you. It's not the whole answer. But maybe it's a little light that gets us through the darkness of unanswered questions 
that can help us be a little more at peace with the big question mark. Because that big question mark has a cross stamped all over it. Just two more quick ones. Can I tell you today that pain, evil, and suffering will cease? Well, if God was really loving, why does why don't why did, why does He make it cease right now? The Bible clearly says it will cease. We sung about it, didn't it? I will see a light that is coming for the heart that holds on. There will be an end to these troubles. We sang it, and the Bible speaks of it. There is a day when this world will be set right, and suffering will cease. And just because God hasn't brought an end to that doesn't mean he won't or can't. But you see, why God does it is because God has something to lose if he brings the curtain down on this world. And what he has to lose is maybe you or your brother or your husband or your kids. Because once the curtain is brought down in this world, there is no more chance for the unbeliever. And 2 Peter chapter 3 says God is patient. God is not slow in keeping his promise. He's not slack. He hadn't forgot this promise. But he's patient and he's long-suffering, not wanting anyone to be able to come to repentance. Isn't interesting in that word we have the word long-suffering. Could God suffer with us as he watches what's going on? But he knows whenever it's time for the curtain to come down, the ark of the door has been closed and no one else gets in. So is he waiting for you? Everybody says, come Lord Jesus, come. Come Lord Jesus, come. I don't know. If I'm real honest, I say, why don't you wait a little bit longer? Why don't you wait a little bit longer? Well, the last tail light. The last tail light is that whatever evil and pain and suffering that we have to go through in this earth will pale in comparison to the light of eternity. That's what the Bible says. Whatever pain, whatever suffering, whatever evil goes on, will pale in comparison Eight eighteen of Romans, do I have that? Right? This is Apostle Paul, beaten five times, whipped within an inch of his life, left for dead, sp spent as much of his adult life in jail as he did free. I consider that our present, and let's just put it personal for Apostle Paul. I think I'm not damaging Scripture by doing this. I think that my present suffering is not comparable with the glory that will be revealed in me. I, I think that this present evil, that this present suffering that I'm going through is not even compared 
to the glory that will eventually be revealed in me. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I think I've quoted this verse a lot of times. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 talks, talks about that outwardly we are wasting away, but inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Now listen. For our light, listen, this is unbelievable. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, I think. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, did you get that? I don't even like that. Because what the Apostle Paul has just said on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that what you go through and what I go through, the letting go of knowledge, the death of whoever has died in your family, the injustice that you have received, it's light, man. It's light. And it's momentary. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. No eye has seen, the Bible says, and no ear has heard what God has in store for those who love him. Does that give you chill bumps? It's not the answer. It doesn't satisfy you in the middle of what you're going through. It doesn't satisfy you intellectually or emotionally. But the truth is that whatever we're going through in this world, it pales in comparison to eternity. Now, this is a horrible illustration, but it makes my point a little bit. Let's say 2012 started for you with a horrible two or three days. I mean, your car broke down. You had a $1,500 bill. You had to go to the dentist and get a root canal. He runs out of Novocaine, and you lose your job, and, and the kids are going nuts and painting their hair purple, and just it's going this horrible. I mean, and whatever Whatever is bad, it just, it, just, it just is happening. And you just get pelted for a couple of days with just what maybe you call bad luck or what you call it, the, the enemy working on you. It's just horrible. Whatever bad happens, happens in the first couple of days of 2012. But the rest of 2012 was, man, it was cha-ching, man. It was great. It was a roller coaster. I mean, your next-door neighbor wins the lottery and gives you $30 million? You get a brand new job and four months vacation to Tahiti. I mean, you get everything you've ever wanted, and the rest of the year is just absolutely great. You can't believe how good things are going. And so at the end of 2012, you've, you've, you've been through 51 pl weeks plus weeks of bliss, and you went through a few days of difficulty. So when you look back on 2012 at the start of 2013, you think, what a great year it was. I can't believe it. Oh, Mark, didn't you remember that? You remember those two days? I mean, all your kids had different color hair, Mark. I mean, it is. Don't you remember that, Mark? Oh, yeah, I remember that. It, it was. It was. But you know what? It doesn't compare to the rest of the 51 plus weeks. Everybody says, well, I couldn't be a foster parent. You know, I couldn't let my kids go. Well, it hurts. And it should hurt if you're invested in what you're doing. 
But the two years we've spent with knowledge, I'd do it again, even know where the, where the end is going to end up. The two years of knowledge, having a great time with him, does not come close to matching up that hurt. That hurt pales in comparison with seeing him come into our house on the first night and we take his picture on the very first night. He goes, gee. Friends, the question mark has a cross stamped on it. Because the glory that is awaiting us is only through the cross. Is only because of the cross. It's only because a one man went through unbelievable pain, suffering, and injustice. The cross doesn't answer this question for us. But it tells us what the answer is not. The answer to this question is not because of what we're going to be able to do here in just a second. The answer is not that God is not loving. The answer is not that God hasn't entered in. The answer is not that God is not mindful of him, God, mindful of us. God is mindful of us. He has entered in. And he's entered into our suffering. And he's identified with our suffering. And so that question mark that you have, that you will always have, that I have, that no preacher, I don't care how many letters behind his name, I don't care how many degrees that he had, cannot stand here and answer that question. The Bible takes a big cross and just stamps it over top of that question mark. Now, I know I didn't answer the question today. but maybe I've given you a little bit to help you to become at peace with the question. At peace with the unanswered question. Let's pray. Father, as we are about to receive this symbol of your broken body and your spilt blood as we're about to remember you in the way you have chosen to be remembered in all of your pain and suffering and the evil and the injustice that happened to you may we and somehow remember that in the midst of the injustice and evil and suffering that we face you have gone there with us you've gone through it too and you promise by your Holy Spirit to be with us. Help us to have faith amidst the unanswered questions. In Jesus' name, amen. Could our pastors come and, and be able to prepare the elements for us, please? The Bible says that we are to be able to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And we do it every Sunday here at Xenia Nass. The Bible says that uh, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And after he had given thanks, 
he gave it to the disciples and says, this is a symbol of my body that's been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the Bible continues and says, after supper, he took the cup and he held it up and said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. I'm going to do something very odd here. If you have gone through some stuff, unanswered questions, pain, suffering, injustice, and you have no clue why it happened, would you stand right now, please? Would you stand right now, please? We have three pastors this morning, and I want these people to be able to come first. The rest of you just slowly dismiss yourself from the aisles. You don't need to all stand up at one time. But can these persons who have questions of why did that happen? God, I love you, but tell me why. I'd like for you to come first, please, and choose a pastor to be able to go to. Would you come now? Would you come now, please? And remember that it's the cross of Christ that's stamped over top of that question mark. And the rest of you may come as you see the line kind of dying down a little bit. Come as you choose, please.